Murray case continues to fascinate people all around the country. How could this young, pretty nursing student simply and completely disappear? Now, on the Internet, you'll find plenty of rumors and theories, but you won't find more. to the first 107 degree audio blogcast. Online and on the blog I go by Gorilla Ontologist, but my actual name is Aaron Larkin and I'm a political consultant in Washington DC. I think it's pretty obvious, but in case it's not, I'm not a professional podcaster. And so you're gonna hear things like my pen clicking and me fidgeting and I forgot to turn off my Outlook notifications, but that stuff will get better. I'm learning as I go along. And to help me learn, I asked my longtime friend and perhaps smartest person I know, Ethan Marsh, to help me out. I'm Ethan Marsh. I'm an IT services engineer from New Jersey, and I'm a member of YouTube channel Comic Pop. Until a month ago, Ethan didn't know anything about the case. He'd heard me talk about it a few times, but he really didn't know any of the details. So similar to what I do on the blog, what I want to do here is really get into the granular details of some of the documents and other official records that we have. Presumably, if you're listening to this, you have some prior knowledge of the case, but just as a disclaimer, we aren't going to spend a lot of time on background information. We're going to assume that when we mention things like the rag in the tailpipe, you know the background bet already. So in this episode, we get into three different topics. First, we're going to start off by talking about the two bolos that were put out on February 9th and 10th. A bolo is an acronym used by law enforcement that stands for Be On The Lookout. The first bolo was put out at 7.54pm, 8 minutes after Officer Cecil Smith arrived on scene and found the Saturn abandoned. It read, H2 requesting all fire units BOL for a female about 5'7 on foot victim of crash. The second BOL went out around noon the next day. By this point they discovered the driver was Maura Murray, despite the fact that the car was actually registered to her father. But notably, this time she's described as 5'5 with black hair and 120 pounds. If you follow the case, then you know that Butch Atwood was the only witness that was known to have seen more that night. So the question we discuss is whether it seems plausible for one witness to be the source for two different height descriptions, or alternatively, whether the discrepancy could suggest evidence of a second witness. We then get into a discussion of the infamous rag in the tailpipe, and that naturally flows into a topic that if you read my blog or caught my episode on the Missing Maura Murray podcast, know is something that I take issue with, which is the assumption that Maura was drinking and driving before she got into the crash. I'll say up front, I think the evidence for that is questionable at best, and in my opinion, simply doesn't make a lot of logical sense when you break it down. So with that, we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, I repeat this at the end, but our contact information is in the show notes if you have any questions about sources or anything else that you think that we got wrong. February 9th, 2004. Police got two calls from two residents reporting a car off the road, the first at 727. An officer arrived at 746, finding the car locked and nobody around. A local bus driver later told investigators he saw a woman standing outside the black Saturn. So one of the things that stood out to me that I don't think has gotten a ton of attention is the, the bolo that was put out that night on February 9th because Smith arrives on scene at 746. And supposedly, according to every article that I've read that mentions the timeline of the night, says that he went to the Westmans first. So they could not have added any information about 
a female because they didn't know anything about a female. I mean, the reports could be wrong about him going to, to the Westmans first. It's possible that he went to Atwoods first. The question is, mm-hmm. would it have been enough time, eight minutes, to, to speak with Butch Atwood, get a, a description of, of Maura, so precise, like she actually was 5'7". Right, and this was based on, he only saw her in the car, correct, Atwood? There's, a, there's some dispute about that. He gave a couple of different accounts. But if we're assuming that she was in the eastbound lane facing west, that means mm-hmm. that she's up against the snowbank. Yep. The driver's side is up against the snowbank. So she would have had to come out the passenger seat, right? Mm-hmm. If she was going to get out or go out the, the driver's side, but then have to either stand on the snowbank or if somehow there's enough room for her to stand in between the snowbank on the ground beside her car, the clearance of that car is approximately her height. Right. So either she was in the car or she was standing by the car, but with the car in between him and her. Okay. Either way, he would not have gotten a good view of her. Do you think that there's any chance she was actively like walking around the car? You know, like she got out and she's she's inspecting it or anything? It's certainly possible that that's not what he said. But okay. I, I believe from his description, it, he never got closer than approximately 20 feet, 15, 20 feet. Oh, wow. OK, so he was yelling at her from the road. Like, hey, you OK over there? Kind of. Yeah. The okay. entire interaction couldn't have taken more than a minute. Yeah, yeah, because there's only a couple pieces of information exchanged. You know, right. are you okay? He observes some things about her. He asks if she wants 911. She says, I'm all set. I already called no. AAA. Yeah, I already called AAA. He invites her to come to stay at his house. She declines. That's it. That's like, it. The time I took to describe it is the time I would have taken, yeah. you know, maybe plus a few seconds. So right. you're talking a minute or less. Yeah. So it wasn't definitely wasn't that long of a time. And I, I don't think that he was like in the window staring at her the entire time. <laughs> and even if he was, how would he discern her height? Mm-hmm. But even so, I mean, it's possible he just nailed it. He just right. guessed her weight. I uh, guessed her height rather completely correctly. But the problem with that is the next day there was another bolo that was put out. At this point, there was only one witness and it's Butch Atwood. And he says that the person that he saw was 5'5 five five and had black hair. Well, if the 5'7 bolo came either, from him, that would mean his story would have had to have changed. Either his story changed day. or there were yeah. two different witnesses. There's no, okay. there's no alternative. I would tend to think that it's the latter because there were two witnesses because I just don't see how it's possible for him to have given Smith such a complete description of Mora. In eight minutes, yeah. in eight minutes time. Yeah. I mean, and that's, well, that's yeah, I mean, really pushing it. He had to recognize the person wasn't there. He had to look around mm-hmm. for her, presumably, see if she, you know, inspect the site, decide that, you know, probably radio back, figure out like, okay, who could tell me more? Oh, there's, you know, talk to Atwood. He's down at this address. Get in his car, drive down there, knock on the door, talk to him, decide that, okay, she's missing. I'm actually going to put out the bolo, mm-hmm. you know, not just keep looking for her myself. So all this had to happen in eight minutes. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I agree. That's a bit much. And especially considering the discrepancy between the first bolo and the second bolo, I just think mm-hmm. that it seems more likely that there was another witness. There was another source of information. information. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And uh, this is something you, you haven't seen too many people talking about this before. Is this, so there's no. not much speculation other than, than what, you know, you've, you've raised yourself. Right. Perhaps it's because it's not that interesting, <laughs> or maybe it makes sense for a witness's account to change from one day to the other. But once you sort of decide yeah, he, this person's five seven, you're not going to rethink that 
I would think. Yeah, like, actually, I think she was shorter than that. Yeah, it seems I, odd. Yeah. If there are two witnesses, if we just assume that for one second, I think that his account was the one that was put out the next day because mm-hmm. she actually had brown hair, not black hair. She was actually 5'7", not 5'5". Five five. But those kinds of minor minor points, minor discrepancies, are what I would expect from a very brief witness. At night, yeah. in the dark. Yeah, like yeah. he's not going to know the difference between a brunette and a shorty sure. who has black hair, necessarily. Right. So if there was a second witness, uh, the implication then is that the second witness actually got a, somehow had a better, either guessed happenstance, guessed better, or yes. actually had firsthand knowledge. Yeah, it, it seems to almost make more sense if there was another source of information that led him to believe, okay, I need to put out a bolo on this person without even having to have gone through all the, the work of interviewing the witnesses and all that. Right. Yeah. That's an alternative explanation that, if not for the fact that no one has mentioned another witness, would seem to make more sense. Yeah. I need a couple of bananas. How much are they? Well, the buffet plate is twelve fifty. You get peaches, plums, oranges, and bananas. Well, all I need is a couple of bananas. Go ahead, take those bananas. Okay. Morning, officers. What y'all, the second team? We're the first team. Yeah. We're not gonna fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not gonna fall for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> it should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. Knowing that there's like that this is a controversy and that there's a mysterious disappearance, when I read the detail about the uh, the rag in the tailpipe, my thought was like, okay, so did somebody put it there to try to make it look like it had something to do with the accident? I don't know why, because that's a weird thing to do, <laughs> because right. it it doesn't immediately like signify like, oh, that's why she crashed. She had a rag in the tailpipe. Like it doesn't inherently make sense. So why would you try to? you know, frame it in that way. Mm-hmm. If you were trying to cover something up, it just doesn't make any sense. It, you know, it's, it's just a random detail, which, which seems to suggest innocuous, you know, you know, that it's not really related to her disappearance in any way. Oh, it was only when I read the other day, one of the things you sent me, I think someone mentioned, you know, that would, it would stop a car. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess I wasn't picturing what I first pictured. I wasn't picturing like it's totally plugged up the tailpipe such that exhaust can't get out that would obviously stop the car i was just thinking it was just stuck in there dangling out the end you know for some reason and i was like why what what i did i just my brain could not comprehend that so to me as a novice coming into it it just i I couldn't wrap my head around like what does that even mean like what why would that be a thing did she put the rag in the tailpipe are we saying did someone else put it in the tailpipe beforehand did she get in the accident and then someone put it in the tailpipe after for some reason Oh. And then I saw a speculation of like, oh, maybe it was like a suicide attempt. I'm like, well, that's, well, that's, that's fucking dumb. Who gets into an accident and then tries to kill themselves in their car? Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Also, it doesn't work. It has to be in a garage or something. No but I could see why people thought of it because killing yourself by carbon monoxide poisoning in a car is like a known thing. So like right. I saw one's mind might go there. Okay, I guess that makes it. Mine didn't because in my head, I'm like, that obviously wouldn't work and it obviously makes no sense. But to somebody else that did make sense so you know we have no idea when it went in the tailpipe we don't know if it was before the accident we don't know if it was after someone mentioned that maybe she was trying to disguise her emissions because she had a dirty you know she had smoke coming yeah, out and, and she her father actually over. said that he, he said that, yeah that was that's him why. 
why she wasn't driving the car and why he was getting her a new car was because of that. Yeah. So it might have been something she did, in which case it might not mean anything. It might have just been a mod she did to her car. Maybe it wasn't completely blocking it. Maybe it, she just thought it was like filtering it or whatever. Um, or maybe she did it just a few minutes ago, just down the road, and it stopped her car. Yeah, uh, I actually don't even think it would have stopped her car based on a Mythbusters that I watched. Really? Yeah, so, okay. so Mythbusters did an experiment that recreated Beverly Hills Cop, uh, the bananas <laughs> in the tailpipe. I didn't see Beverly Hills okay. Cop. They basically stopped a bunch of bananas in the tailpipe and tried to figure out if it would actually stall the car, and it does not. Ah, interesting. As long as your engine is more powerful than whatever's blocking the exhaust. Ah, okay. It's going to shoot it out like a spitball. Interesting. Okay. Is it, uh, is it immediate or does it take like uh... It's immediate. So basically, if it did block the airflow, either the car would stop immediately if it somehow couldn't pop it out, or more likely, it would pop it right out. Yes. What if it wasn't stuffed in there very well, though? What if it was just kind of like half filling it? You know, like it wasn't big enough to really plug it up. I'm not sure. Although, one of the ways that you diagnose some of those issues is with a rag in the tailpipe. Really? Yeah. So it's possible that she had gotten it looked at and somehow they left it there. I don't really think so because it was her rag. So mm. that doesn't make sense unless it was somebody that she knew. But yeah, one of the ways that you would diagnose issues is stick something up there and turn the engine on and see if there's a leak anywhere in the exhaust system. Oh, okay. But even still, even in that case, you'd have to hold something in in the tailpipe for it to work. I mean, I guess it would have to be like a gigantic hole in the exhaust to allow enough pressure to escape that it wouldn't push out something. You know, she was getting, what was it, smoke in the exhaust? Like the exhaust was coming out smoky? Yeah, I think what Fred said was um, it was blowing white smoke. White smoke. Yeah, so this is from the Boston Magazine article. It says, That weekend her father came up from his job in Connecticut to help Maura buy a new car. Maura's 1996 Saturn kind of blew a cylinder and was smoking something fierce, according to Fred Murray. I said, you can't drive this car. The cops will pull you over in a heartbeat, he, he recalls. As a temporary fix, Fred says he suggested she put a rag inside the tailpipe to hide the smoke. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I mean, that sounds to me like it's definitely something wrong in the, in the combustion process. Yeah. It seems like there's no real reason to think there was anything wrong with the exhaust in any way, any leaks or anything. Her problems were she was not burning fuel properly and it was creating excess smoke. Yeah. Right. The other thing is it's just physically difficult to put a rag in the tailpipe after running the engine because it's hot. Mm, it's really hot. True. Presumably she probably would have had gloves if it was February, but still, you're not going to want to touch the tailpipe. Mm -hmm. And you're going to need something to like push it that far. Yeah, so do we know what was... Police said they, there was a rag in the tailpipe. What, do, do we know any more about what they reported? Like how far in it was? Whether it was like... The person who noticed it was the EMT guy. His name was Dick Guy. Okay. He shows up in the EMT roster that I think includes the, the fire department manifest. Everyone who went to the scene, there was like six, mm -hmm. six to eight firemen and, and several EMTs. And I believe he was the one to notice it first. So I don't think okay. it could have been too far up there for someone to see it, you know, just right. walking around the car. Yeah, he wasn't looking for things amiss. He would have just noticed it. So in that manifest, there is something to the effect of he believed that the scene was off, looked off, and he okay. wondered if HPD, Haverhill Police Department, was aware. Which hmm. is interesting okay. because they were there. So. Right, but he might he might say, well, I have I have a lot of experience yeah, with accident yeah. scenes, maybe, and they might not, although they should, but... <laughs> right, right. He might have been maybe a little bit more attuned for that reason, but mm -hmm. even still, I don't think he's necessarily, like, getting out uh, a monocle and checking up the tailline. <laughs> like, no, no. What you would need if it was really stuck up there pretty far. Yeah. 
Yeah, it must have been visible, visible without having to bleach in there. Yeah, yeah, I would have to think. I just don't see it being part of anything nefarious because... It, it well, it doesn't make any sense as part trunk. of something nefarious. What's that? Because it came from her trunk. To the extent that it could be something nefarious, the only thing I can think of is that it was used to wipe down something. Oh, yeah. So if there was any kind of fingerprint or anything, really, mm-hmm. potentially if there was open alcohol, which I don't actually think there was, using alcohol to remove prints or any kind of marking would kind of make sense. And you definitely don't want to take that with you. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just throw it in the car back in the trunk where you got it from? Like, you put it in the tailpipe. is like, keys? Well, how'd they get it then? I don't know. Yeah, like, <laughs> you'd have to go into the car to get it. Then why wouldn't you just put it back in the car? That's true. That's true. Unless she took it out of the car, left it on top of the car or something, and then someone comes along, does something, wipes stuff down, and then puts it in the tailpipe at I don't know. That seems weird. Yes. Yeah. I think more likely than not, though, her father's explanation for why the car was operating improperly makes the most sense because Mm -hmm. if it had blown a gasket and she she was going around a corner and had to slow down, it would make perfect sense for it to stall out. I think more than likely she was just trying to cover smoke so she didn't get pulled over. Yeah, that seems like the most likely explanation. Probably when she, whenever she got gas, because the, the tank was mostly full. Mm-hmm. Wherever and whenever she pulled over to get gas, going the last X number of miles, she just didn't mm-hmm. want to get pulled over in a small town. Yeah. Where cops abound. Occam's razor, that's what happened. And it just seemed to her like, oh, I'll just block it. I'll just block it off. It's dumb, but it's the kind of thing it's, it's that dumb, someone who doesn't know anything about cars might do. <laughs> I mean, I, I could see doing it for, you know, less than 20 months. It's not good, but it's not... Right. It's like riding on a donut. It's mm-hmm. not good for your car, but you can go <laughs> several hundred miles if you really have to. Yeah, that's true. Frankly, she was going to get rid of the car the next week anyway. Right. I don't think she really gives a shit about longevity at that point. They're probably going to trade yeah. it in or give it to her younger brother or whatever. Right. Uh, regarding, you said there is no evidence of uh, that she was uh, that she was drinking. Right. So the state police have said that they had evidence of open containers. They never said that there was an open container. And I know that sounds like semantics, but it's mm-hmm. put in those legalistic terms for a reason. If there was an open container, it would say that there was an open container. Right. The police report right. so- would clearly have marked that, and it does not. It does say that there's a box of wine. It does not say that it was open. If the wine had been opened, it would have been clearly specified in the, in the police report that it was open. That's- that would have been evidence. Yes. To not have marked that in the police report would have been completely incompetent. Yeah, missing like a massive piece of evidence that you would think a police officer would would want to be using at some point. Because at this point, they don't know that they're never going to find her. So they should be building a case if they think that she was under the influence. They should be building a case for that. Was there not a report of uh, finding a bottle with a red liquid in it, like a soda bottle? So, yeah. One of the police officers did. What what is up with that? They, They found the bottle underneath the vehicle when, when okay. it was being towed. It appeared to have a red liquid in it, and it appeared to smell like alcohol. Okay. My issue with that is, for one, I mean, I guess this is more of like a, a legalistic contention, but we don't know that it came from inside the car. It could, mm. theoretically, be a random bottle that had nothing to do, like it wasn't hers. But that that <laughs> is legalistic. But if we are going to assume that it was hers, the officer who smelled it doesn't drink alcohol. Huh. Um, so what? 
I mean, I, I, I would assume that he knows what alcohol smells like, but mm-hmm. antifreeze is alcohol. It, it's derived from ethanol, right? So mm-hmm. it's one atomic particle away from being ethyl alcohol. Okay. Yeah, it could definitely be. It has a, and it has a very strong smell. Uh-huh. And if you're gonna if you're gonna make the the cheap kind, you you take a giant bottle of red antifreeze and you mix it with water and you have coolant, right? Sure. I used to do it in a milk milk jug and carry it around in the trunk of my car. Because you had to fill up your coolant. Yeah, because I had frequently. a shitty Lumina. Like, yeah. <laughs> that would leak coolant all the time. So you think she got it? She brought it out of the car with her. Right. Think it was coolant because there were two other items that were in the list of things that they recovered from the car. One was a radiator funnel. The other was something called a Lumiseal. And a Lumiseal, the only reason that you have it is if there's a problem with the cooling system in your car. Okay. Right? So I believe that at least at some point, maybe it was an old problem, but at some point in history, coolant had leaked from her car. Right. Going on a trip this long in the middle of winter, I mean, well, actually, it would have been easier than if she was going in the in the summer. But even so, like, you're going to want mm-hmm. some extra coolant with you. Yeah. I think it's very possible that's what the red liquid in the Coke bottle was. Okay. Now, they also mentioned uh, red liquid, like, on the ground or? Their exact words were under the vehicle. Under the vehicle. Okay. Not on the side, not behind, under. Right. How do you get it? Just physically, how do you pour something under vehicles right that's more like it came out of the vehicle yeah yeah clearly the other thing about gm cars which are saturn saturn is owned by gm by the end of 1996 every single gm car used the type of coolant that's red because there's two different kinds there's the red kind and the green kind yeah everyone used red coolant and okay saturn was technically the last to adopt that (laughs) so it is theoretically possible that it used the green but it's unlikely highly unlikely yeah yeah, it was probably um, the red. Okay. And then the other thing was, you notice red stains on the ceiling, right? And people assume that that was red wine. Mm-hmm. The, I've also read reports that the box of red wine was, like, crushed. Mm-hmm. I did a couple experiments, how much force it would take to crush a box of red wine. <laughs> Freaking impossible. <laughs> I, like, it, I couldn't do it. I jumped on top of it. I, like, stabbed it with stuff. You can't. You can't crush it with going 20, 30, 40 miles an hour. You just can't do that. It's going to slam, and it's not going to get crushed. That's absurd. Interesting. And if it was huh. crushed, that would definitely be an indication of foul play because somebody's, like, <laughs> struggling hard. Well, and if it was, wouldn't there be red wine, like, everywhere? everywhere? No shit, right? But no, just remarkably on the ceiling and on, like, the, the side door. doesn't make any sense. What would make sense is one of the things that Bush Atwood said was that she was shivering. And you'd think that if she'd been driving for a while and the cabin was warm, how long is it going to take for you to get cold enough to the point where you're shivering? Especially if you're wearing a jacket. So one of the problems that would be consistent with what her father has explained about the car would be if the heater core was malfunctioning. Because the heater core is just behind the, the dashboard. And okay. the first thing that happens when your heater core starts to go is you start leaking coolant. Second, you lose your heat in the car. Okay. You can't, it just won't heat up. Third is the car is actually going to get like steamy and you're going to get almost like an antifreeze steam thing happening. Okay. And then fourth is that coolant's going to leak through 
both the floorboard and the dashboard. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, like, actually, like, oozed through. <laughs> so, my explanation for the, the red liquid on the ceiling and on the door is that her airbags went off and she had a shitty heat heater core and it just... Just splattered it, yeah. It's way more sense to me than anything else, especially considering the box of red wine was not open. It does not right. say that it was open. I, I think it, there were major mechanical issues with the car mm-hmm. um, and that she absolutely was not drinking and driving. Yeah. Okay. Not at Very interesting. Not yeah. 250 yeah. miles away. I don't want yeah. to. It just doesn't make sense. It's weird. I don't know what difference it would make if she was, you know, like, what does that even really matter? Well, if it was, <laughs> it would make sense that she would want to flee, right? Oh, flee the scene? Uh, so it's used to justify the, the theory that she ran away. And if you're actively evading police, it's kind of hard to blame them for not catching you, not looking for you. You know what I mean? For a, a few days, maybe. <laughs> for a but few he, weeks. But that's all. I mean, that's all they're responsible for. What, yeah. What's their responsibility beyond that? Really, it's it's that that night and perhaps the next day, but that's all they're on the hook for. I, I can understand why the narrative sort of changed from that evening clearly, because they don't mention the alcohol at all that night. At all. Mm-hmm. Not even the next day when they put out the bolo. But five days later, when they write the police report, when she's not found yet, suddenly... No mention of the rag and the tailpipe, but hmm. they hone in on the alcohol. Okay, so that information comes in later, almost as if people who were investigating had a conversation and decided, like, well, that makes sense that, you know, probably alcohol was involved. But it seems like, from what we can see, the officer on the scene may not have made any observation about the fact that she may have been intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Assuming that Smith got to the scene, he saw, as he says in the police report, a box of frenzy wine and stains on the ceiling. In his head, the, the driver may have left due to being intoxicated and wanting to avoid a DUI. Mm-hmm. Why was that not relevant information to put out in the bolo? You know, if there's a woman out there you believe is intoxicated, is it standard to say that this mm-hmm. person is perhaps under the influence of alcohol? But I would think so. My guess would be that that would be. But if you think about it, putting yourself in the, the shoes of this officer, now we're not police, obviously, but... You know, the, the time on this is 7.30 mm-hmm. at night, so you would think you're not really expecting that this person's going to be intoxicated right. at that time of night. It's not 1 in the morning. Now, I don't know. I'm not a police officer. I don't know how often you get driving under the influence cases, but I would think not a majority before like 9 p.m. So it logically, you would think the officer's head wouldn't be going there necessarily. Right. So that's possibly that came in after the fact not based on the initial responding officer's uh, observations. I mean, they're trying to cover themselves. They're just just natural. And it's not even that unreasonable to Mm -hmm. assume, right? So you're saying if if they create a reason that she fled, then that uh, somewhat absolves them of responsibility for having failed to find her. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I would think so. If you're, the assumption is that you're actively evading police. I, I do think that that lets them off the hook to a certain extent. I would agree. That makes sense that, you know, by that point, the police have figured out they're not going to find her. It's been too long. So now it goes to, like, damage control. I said, like, well, why did this all happen? Well, she was probably drinking. Yeah. So, and then everyone's like, oh, okay. And right, right. Questions. And then there was the crash two days earlier that she had gotten into, which 
I don't want to say to their advantage because that sounds weird, but kind of. Mm. I mean, it establishes a pattern. You only know yeah. five things about this person. Two of them are that she's gotten into crashes, and one of them, clearly, she had been drinking one night. The other, mm. like, there was alcohol in the car. I mean, yeah. you're going to put those things together and establish something that really doesn't exist but makes perfect mm-hmm. sense in your head. Right. Because the, right. the first accident, she also was not cited for drinking. She hmm. could not have been intoxicated. At least I, I firmly believe that she was not intoxicated. I would think it would be cited if she was. I mean, if they had reason to suspect she was drinking, the person right off the report would have definitely written that down. What reason would they have to not? <laughs> Police arrived to find the car, but no sign of her. One witness reported seeing Mora looking impaired. She might be afraid that she's going to get in trouble, but we just want to let her know that it's fine. We just want her to come home. One more thing that could potentially point to evidence of a second witness. That is, in news reports, police were saying that a witness had said that the driver appeared intoxicated. Okay. Well, there was only one witness. And so what does he say? He goes on record and actually completely contradicts the police in in news reports and states specifically that she was not intoxicated. So to me, that means one of two things. It just furthers the sort of idea that the police were trying to put it out there, like give the impression mm-hmm. that she was perhaps drunk and that's why she fled. Right. Or there were two witnesses, and one of them legitimately did say that she appeared intoxicated. Hmm. Or both. I think it's possible that it could be both, especially if an officer had seen her before, and that's the second witness. That's who knows her height before it's theoretically plausible for anyone to know her height and has an interest in giving the impression that she was under the influence of alcohol. Right. Yeah. That. So... Could make sense. So the um, the one witness you were referring to was the bus driver. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And when did the police release that uh, remark that uh, a witness said she was intoxicated? When on the timeline? So they put out a press release on February 12th, and it says, Witnesses, it does use the plural, at the scene reported seeing a lone female with no apparent injury who appeared impaired due to alcohol consumption. <laughs> When asked if she needed help or the police to respond, she replied, no. The female left the scene prior to the arrival of emergency personnel. I mean, they say witnesses. I I think that could be a typo or maybe not. The reference to witnesses might simply be Uh a reference to the fact that there were witnesses, not necessarily that they Mm -hmm. were all saying the same thing. So they might be saying, okay, that could be what they meant by witnesses. And then the part about alcohol was not said by either of those two people who we know did talk to the police if there was someone who said that we don't know who that was mm-hmm. and no one has said it yeah so they're they're saying that she was reportedly impaired yeah. and then it starts showing up in news reports right and that first that report was that was the 12th you said right so that was what three days later yep well, okay, hang on. Wasn't there another witness who said that they saw her or someone they thought was her on the road? He didn't come forward till months later. Didn't come forward to anyone or didn't come forward publicly? Both. The police didn't know about what he allegedly saw until months okay. later. So there's no other... So that would not be... There's no other witnesses that we know of that the police 
could conceivably have been talking to prior to the 12th. Correct. Who might have added Correct. that information. If there is someone, it's totally, someone who's totally unknown to us now. Yes. So that, that comes out the 12th. The first news report I could find that mentions it comes out the 15th. Okay. Which is the day that the police report came out that also gives a very strong impression about the alcohol, but doesn't say that it's open. And, and then on the 16th, there's an article in the Boston Herald, Missing Woman's Dad, Searchers Waited. So basically, what it, it goes on to say that they're upset that it mm -hmm. took several days for them to begin looking for his daughter. So to me, it's sort of like their focus on the alcohol, their transition to that, mm -hmm. or emphasis on that, corresponds exactly to when her father starts to complain that they they didn't do anything in the first 48 hours. Right, right. So hours. that could be uh, they're building a, a narrative. Defense. They're yeah, playing defense. Yeah. Oh, well, she was drunk, so. Right. And so, yeah, exactly. And that's all it really takes for people to just stop asking questions and stop right. being interested. Right. And, but then, on, and I think it was almost like too little too late, but on February 27th, there was an article in the Caledonian Record where Atwood specifically states, Atwood said Mora didn't appear to be intoxicated, despite police having said a witness indicated she appeared to be impaired due to alcohol. So he directly contradicts what they're saying. Yeah, definitely. Now, so here's a crazy idea that literally just occurred to me just now. At some point, the prosecutor on this case referenced the idea that there were he was fairly sure there was going to be charges brought. Mm-hmm, 75%. Could it be that the charges he was thinking of bringing had to do not with necessarily uh, knowing what happened to her, but rather with the way that the search was handled and a potential, you know, mis mishandling the speaking of the media and so forth, you know, saying that she was intoxicated when, when that was perhaps a fabrication? Certainly. I mean, that could definitely be part of it. Well, one of the things that I think is pretty interesting is that supposedly a grand jury was convened. It's pretty easy to get an indictment. Yeah. It doesn't take too much, really. Yeah, they pretty much always get it. Yeah. Yeah. The exception to that is when it's police. Yes, as we In that uh... case, over 50% of the time. Like, it's, it's hard to know because a lot of it's secret, but yeah. they don't indict. In fact, I was looking at the list of cold cases in New Hampshire a couple of days ago, mm -hmm. and there was this one case where uh, a, a man went missing, and years later, another man was on his deathbed, and he said, my son murdered this person, this is where the body is buried. So the son was a police officer. They went to his house, they found the body. It was exactly the way the father had said it would be. Oh my God. Uh, they did not indict. <laughs> the grand jury didn't indict in that case. Did not indict him. Now, he went on to molest children and eventually ended up in jail anyway. But Jesus Christ, wow. like, that could have been avoided. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, maybe he's innocent, but you have a body <laughs> under his house. Yeah. Like, I don't know what yeah, more I feel you like, need. Yeah, now... You know, you could say, well, maybe the father killed the person. Sure, maybe. That's why you do an investigation. That's why well, you indict. You know, yeah, you, you would think it, there would be enough for an indictment there. Maybe maybe you don't win, but at least you go to court. If nothing else, he's a, perhaps an accessory to yeah. a murder. He, yeah. he had knowledge 
perhaps, uh, I mean, maybe he just didn't ask why his father was digging a hole in his, <laughs> his yard <laughs> one day. Yeah. But, like, I, I think he probably had some knowledge about it. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So, if, Yeah, they, they should have been able to get something. Yeah, they uh, should have. And that, he should not have been but out in the world, in my opinion. But That's, uh, well, I mean, look, that happened with, uh, in Missouri, where... Yeah, that's a little different, I think. I don't know. That one's a little bit more ambiguous to me. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly the prosecutors thought they were going to get indicted, right. and they didn't. But I, I totally believe that police officers are less likely to get indicted because a lot of people trust them. <laughs> if a grand jury was convened, like, nothing is leaked about it. And a grand jury was convened. We do know that. Yeah, in Moore's case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was no indictment. Yeah. Yeah. And of course you have the the affidavit from Detective Landry saying they can't release dispatch logs because there's information contained about police's response to the scene that if made public would hinder the case. Yeah. Well, there could have been something about another person who Sure. was a suspect in, in which case you couldn't release it because the fact that they show up on a police report would be prejudicial. But yeah. what what I find interesting about that is i mean this case is is dead the case is over they convened a grand jury and they didn't get an indictment so at this point i'm wondering well what are you protecting you well know, it's still an open investigation so presumably like if they somehow were to get a piece of information in the future they could convene another grand jury i, I actually talked to a few lawyers about how common that is it's uh -huh. not it's yeah. not com like it's theoretically possible theoretically possible but, but, but yeah. once you you lose you lose like yeah Unless, like, there's some, you know, indisputable piece of information that right. you just can't ignore. Yeah. But generally, it doesn't happen. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to look good for the prosecutor to call a grand jury, have it not result in indictments, and then try again and right. have the same result. Like, they're not going to want to risk that because that's not good for their career. It could also be seen as, like, harassing a, a person. Yeah, and given how successful grand juries usually are, you would think... Hey man, you you got like ninety five percent chance and you and you couldn't do it, so it's over. You know, uh, it, it would not be something that I would think most states would uh, want to happen, mm -hmm. unless there was something like ironclad that came up. DNA yeah, that they could not ignore. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Uh, do you know what the statute of limitations is? There's no statute of limitations on murder. Oh really? Yeah. Now we don't know that murder was. The... We don't know that murder was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Could be kidnapping. Could be oh, it could be lots. It could be the destruction of evidence. You know, mishandling of evidence. It could be. Yeah, there's an. That's true. You know, impeding investigation. Obstruction of justice. That's a pretty popular one now. What's that? Oh yeah, obstruction <laughs> of justice. <laughs> Topical. Interesting. So then, just to ask what you think, you you think that grand jury was convened to indict a police officer or you think that's a strong possibility i think it's a strong possibility the other potential you know folks are there's the the one guy rick forcier yeah forcier across the street right yep a lot of people think it was him mm -hmm. anybody else comes to mind as who might have been the target of that grand jury nope okay. he's the only real suspect well, I mean, there could be plenty of suspects. The only one that there's any public knowledge of. Right. And 
I think the compelling piece of information that makes him suspicious to me is that a former state police officer that actually worked on her case strongly implied that he was the main subject of their investigation. Right. Now, I've learned enough about the system to know that sometimes police get it in their head like they have a they have a person mm-hmm. in mind and they're just like narrowly focused. Yeah. They sort of like forget everything else. Yeah, because they had a uh, he had an inkling that it was this guy based on yeah. talking to him was like oh, he didn't seem right and blah, blah, yeah. And, and like he lied like to police and right. he's kind of weird and Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. but the thing that I then go back to is well okay, why couldn't they at least get a warrant for his house? People mm-hmm. think it's it's really suspicious that he wouldn't let the police into his into his house. Right. He was living in a trailer at the time, not a house, I should say. I don't think it's that suspicious, particularly if you are a musician, which he is. Maybe he just had weed. Yeah. There could have been all kinds of stuff that you don't necessarily want, you know, police rummaging around through. Sure. And if they can't get a warrant... Yeah, why couldn't they get a warrant? Why can't you get a warrant? And this is a case that we know a grand jury was convened, mm-hmm. and yet the prosecutor felt they could convene a grand jury, but they couldn't get a warrant. So I think this is a good stopping point for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to get more into the possibility that there was a second witness, and we're also going to discuss the alcohol that was reportedly purchased by Mara and Amherst before she left and discrepancies in what was recovered from the car or not recovered from the car, as the case may be. In the meantime, if the Venn diagram of your life interest includes both true crime and comic books, I would suggest checking out Comic Pop on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. And lastly, if you have any questions or you want sources about anything that we discussed tonight, or you want to correct anything that I may have gotten wrong, my Twitter handle is GorillaOntologist. That's G-R-L-A underscore ontologist, O-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. Or you can email me at g.ontologist at gmail.com. Mythbuster always wants more. Adam loads the potato deeper into the tailpipe. Potato stuffed in there like a good 20 inches. I'm ready when you are. That one is flying, but there's no effect on the car's engine. The banana is longer and thinner. Maybe it'll do the job. Banana is fully inserted. You're ready to fire. All right, firing. That banana slips right out. Kill it! It was like, like that. So it's busted. Yeah, I'd say totally busted.